Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that your Son may glorify you, just as you gave him authority over all people, so that your Son may give eternal life to all you gave him. Now this is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. Now glorify me, Father, with you, with the glory I had with you before the world began. I revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you gave me is from you, because the words you gave to me I have given to them. And they accepted them and truly understood that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for the ones you have given me, because they are yours. And everything of mine is yours, and everything of yours is mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I will no longer be in the world, but they are in the world while I am coming to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Tonight's topic, as you can guess, is prayer, as we look at this beautiful prayer of Jesus. And as a lead-in to this beautiful gospel, I'd like to share with you a few prayers of children who have written these short but beautiful little prayers. Dear God, Maybe Cain and Abel would not have killed each other if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother and me. Dear God, I never thought that orange and purple went together until I saw the sunset you made yesterday. That was really cool. Dear God, did you really mean for the giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? Dear God, 
instead of letting people die and having to make new people all the time, why don't you just keep the ones you have now? Dear God, I went to this wedding on Saturday and the bride and groom kissed right in church. Is that okay? Dear God, please send me a pony. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. Dear God, I bet it is really hard for you to love all the people in the world. There are only four people in my family, and I can't do it. <laughs> That's cute. Dear God, my older brother told me about how I was born, and it doesn't sound right. Were they just kidding or what? And last, dear God, we read in school that Thomas Edison made light, but I heard in church that you made it. I bet he stole your idea. Aren't these lovely prayers? I'd like to suggest that this is how we ought to pray, like a child, with the candor and the openness, the wonder, the true to our self feeling, whatever we have, that's how we come before God, always as you are. Some people have a hard time with that. They like to think we should only address God in certain ways. You know, that's how the Jewish people taught in Jesus' time. They spoke of God in rather exultant terms. They never even used God's name, Yahweh. And yet, we hear a whole different flavor from Jesus. Someone who called God in the dearest terms of love, Father, Father, Abba, Daddy, as we would more appropriately translate in our English language. Jesus wants us to feel as close to Him and to God as any of us could feel to our very closest friend. Yes, especially like a child to his or her parent, whom they trust, loves them entirely, and would do anything for them that would be good. So tonight we want to look at how Jesus prayed. Now, this is interesting when we look to John's Gospel. Did you know nowhere in John's Gospel is contained the Our Father? Did you realize that? It's only in Mark and Matthew's Gospel. But in John's Gospel, we have this chapter 17, that is an entire prayer to the Father. It's very similar in many ways. It's often called the priestly prayer of Jesus. Priestly because in the Old Testament times, which of course is the time of Jesus, the chief priest knew that his major responsibility was to pray first for himself, so he would be right with God, secondly, for his family and household, and thirdly, for all the people of Israel. It was his responsibility to intercede for the people. And so Jesus, in as the chief high priest, certainly follows that beautiful example as he prays in this chapter 17, first for himself, verses 1 through 5, secondly, for his disciples, who are like his family, and finally, for the world, and even all those down to this time who would believe in him. 
on the seventh Sunday of Easter, which is the Sunday preceding Pentecost, we have this final prayer of Jesus. The last time he's speaking to his disciples, and how interesting it is that he, the last word he leaves them is a prayer for them. Isn't that lovely? You know, there's a lot that we could learn about a person by the way they pray. I have friends of mine who have been married more than 25 years. And more recently, over the last few years, they've begun to pray together before bedtime. They hold each other, pray for each other, and bring to God all their concerns. And they said to me what at first seemed surprising, but the more I thought about it, the more, more sense it made. They shared that in their prayer time, they have grown closer together than all the years they shared so much of their life and raising a family. Something about praying that if we pray from the heart, it opens up the innermost part of us. In sharing that, we become soulmates with another. So this is what Jesus prays. He becomes, as it were, a soulmate, a, a spirit friend to his disciples. And there's two things we could immediately tell about Jesus from his beautiful prayer, the priestly prayer of this chapter 17. The first is that Jesus was consumed with a great love for his Father. Consumed. In terms of it, it preoccupied most of his attention. It will share how all his life was directed to fulfilling God's will for him. And again and again, in this single chapter, we have Jesus referring to his Father, although sometimes in the pronoun you, 59 times. It's almost as if every sentence is directed to his Father in some fashion. And we know, secondly, that in this prayer, if you were to reflect on it, Jesus also has a profound love for his disciples, a profound love, and uses the disciples' name 49 times throughout this chapter, again and, and again and again and again. He's praying for them. Must have known how much they needed it. And in praying for them, you understand he's praying for us as we are his disciples today. So with that is the background to this disciples. Allow me to welcome you into this upper room. Allow yourself to be privy to this prayer of Jesus. Imagine that we could have the privilege, if you had the chance to pray with this prayer of Jesus, how would that be? you know, what we could learn. You've heard me share, too, I had the great privilege to be with Mother Teresa when I was on a pilgrimage to Ireland. Some people may call it another holy land. And I met Mother Teresa there in a church filled with people. And the first thing Mother Teresa did was get down on her knees and pray. And she prayed so devoutly, I can remember saying, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. And we all responded, Holy Mary, Mother, God, pray for sinners. And it was like so jarring, a comparison to how, how many of us are so accustomed to rambling. You know, we can fall into these 
ruts and rote prayer. And prayer should never be that. And it takes real intention to pray then. It takes effort. Because if you pray with your heart, if you pray with your full voice, if you pray with all your body and soul, it's exerting, but it's exhilarating too. That's how Jesus prayed. That's how Jesus prayed. And we are privy to that prayer of Jesus as we could almost imagine now come into that upper room, that small but beautiful place where he celebrated the first Mass, the last supper he spent with his disciples. And he begins by saying, Father. I mean, that says it all. Sometimes I've heard it said when people pray, they could just pray over and over again, just that one word, Father, Father. The first stage of all prayer, you know, is to place yourselves in the presence of God. And when we do that, we must assume the posture of prayer, which Jesus does in this prayer. We are children. That's why I started with those children prayers. We're children. And so that's why we call God Father. Father who loves us. Father who is everything to us. Father who provides every good thing for us. That's how Jesus prays, Father. And he prayed that over and again. And then he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Now, what is the hour? The hour, as you could almost guess, has a very significant, even pregnant meaning in John's Gospel. Hour referred to that time when Jesus saved the world. So the hour represents the hour of crucifixion and resurrection. It is that hour that Jesus realizes as he's facing his death that this is soon coming upon him like the night now that is set in. And so he says to the Father, the hour has come. He's almost praying for strength to undergo this hour of agony, suffering, and death. And so he continues, Father, give glory to your Son, so that your Son may give glory to you. Glory in the biblical sense was when God revealed himself in an awesome way. God revealed himself in a majestic, even miraculous way. So when God provided the Israelites with manna from heaven, that was their hour of glory, the glory of God shown about them. And so we see here, as I said, the moment of glory is really when Jesus is crucified. Now, how could that be? How could that give God glory? Certainly, the Father, God the Father, never wanted his son to die on the cross in such an awful way. But he wanted his son to do whatever he needed to do to show us how much he loves us. God would do anything to show us how much he loves us. And it is that hour he stretched out his arms on the cross that he truly embraced the world. He embraced the world for all time. And so that's the glory. And that's why we have the beautiful crucifix on the front of our church as a focal point for our prayer. Jesus goes on to say, and John records this, I have come to bring them eternal life. And eternal life is this, that they should know you, the only true God, and the one you sent, Jesus Christ. So eternal life 
is not something that we might imagine to be hereafter in heaven. For John, eternal life is here and now. Right here, right now, eternal life begins because right here, right now, we can come to know God. But you understand, know is a loaded term in the Bible. To know, then, in the biblical sense, is to be an intimate relationship, as it's here meant to convey those who are in relationship and friendship with the Lord. That union with the Lord continues. Where is heaven? Wherever we're one with God. That's the beginning, anyway. And ultimately, we're completely with God in union with the Lord in heaven. But that begins right here. And so even in this moment, you know, we do have little snapshots, little glimpses of heaven. Paul says it's almost like looking through a, a darkened window, like these stained glass windows. Light shines, but we can't perceive the intensity of it. That's the view from earth to heaven. We have a view of the light of the Lord, but we sure can't see him face to face as it is yet. So Jesus prays that these disciples can truly know God by knowing him. To know Jesus is to know God. We've heard it said before. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples, it was chapter 15, whoever sees me sees the Father. Remember, when Philip asked, show us the Father. Philip, whoever sees me sees the Father. Whoever knows me knows the Father. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. That is why it's so important in our spirituality that Jesus is the primary focus, that he is our way in truth and our life, as you've heard me say a couple of weeks ago. Jesus repeats that again. Lord, let me mention this. It occurs to me as I talk about knowing God, there's a lot of people who know a lot about God, but don't really personally, intimately know him. And I know you know the difference. This may be a shock to you. I, I think I shared this once before, but it comes to mind now. I know a great biblical scholar who knows many different languages, even Sanskrit, along with Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus spoke, right? along with Hebrew and Greek, and is studied in Rome and Israel and Egypt, all places throughout the world. And yet... I was shocked when I learned that he doesn't pray and doesn't know what he really believes about God. I said, you spend all this time with the Bible? And what does it mean? He says, well, it's become a study like a science to me. Wow. And if that's true of him, what I'm saying, it's very possible for people who come to church every week who know a lot about God and could recite the catechism questions front to back, but they don't know him in a way of knowing him as a friend, knowing him as a person who leads them in life, who loves them and the third brought to love. This is why we need to grow in the knowledge that's both mind and heart and feet, if you will, that we walk the talk that we integrate the teaching, that we assimilate the message. That's the kind of knowledge we want to grow in. Jesus continues his prayer, but now shifts his prayer from him in the Father to his disciples. He says, Father, I revealed your name. Your name means who you are. 
truly, to those whom you gave me out of the world, whom you entrusted to my care. As Jesus prays this way, we might be thinking, who is God entrusted to our care? And do we pray for them? A little more on that later. Jesus continues, Father, they know everything that you gave me is from you, for I have given it to you, and they believe that I come from you. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, thank God they finally believe all that I've said. They finally understand. Because, you know, all through the gospel, he's saying, don't you understand yet? Finally, it's like they're almost at the graduation ceremony, you know. This is the last time he's with them. He's saying, I hope they can keep this message in mind now. And then Jesus ends with this beautiful line in today's gospel. Father, I pray for them. I pray knowing that I will no longer be in the world. They will be in the world. It's almost like Jesus is really looking at them and really seeing down the road how they will have to continue on, knowing that they will have to carry on his message and all the help they will need. And so, praise dear God, please help them. Please, please, God, be with them. And as he prays for them, he's praying for us. This is how we need to pray. Tonight is I pray with this gospel. What comes to me is this question. As Jesus is praying for those entrusted to his care, do we pray every day for those entrusted to our care, especially our family, but others with whom we work and live? I realize as a priest, this is one of my major responsibilities, to pray as Jesus prayed. And yet, I have a list, and you might find this helpful. Some of you, I'm sure, do it. A list of people I pray for every day, starting with my family. And then I keep this other list of people who are sick or suffering in the parish, those who have specifically asked for prayer. And it's a running list. It changes time to time. Who are the people you need to pray for? I would recommend to you a list. If not a written list, I find a written list helpful, but at least an unconscious list. I listened to a tape recently by a man by the name of Guy Dowd. Guy Dowd is from Wisconsin, actually, and he was named some years ago as the National Teacher of the Year and was honored by the president with a special recognition and award. When he was called to Washington, he shared some of his things that he's learned as a teacher over the years of experience that he's had. And one is that he has learned to pray for the students that he's having a difficult time teaching. Isn't that interesting? What he does, he said, if he has a hard time getting through to a student, he will go and sit in their desk before school when he arrives early and try to imagine them and what they're going through in their life as he prays for them. Isn't that lovely? And he gave the example, he was praying for a young man, and as he was praying for him, coincidentally or providentially, the young man came along. And this is something he didn't usually do, come too early to, to class, you know. And he was a little startled. He quick got out of his desk and 
they started up some brief conversation. He learned from the young man that, of course, he knew he was a senior, but that this Friday was going to be his last senior football game. And he knew he was on the, the team, and he asked uh, if he was looking forward to it. He said, yeah, yeah, we should, we should do okay. And he was stammering around. He says, you know, it's, it's going to be parents' night where they honor the seniors. I said, oh, well, that's nice. That's nice. Your parents would be there? Um, no. Uh, my parents are divorced, and my father lives out of town. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Your mom would be there? Um, no, uh, she works second shift at the uh, hospital. She says uh, she can't get off that night. Oh, gosh, uh, I'm really sorry to hear that, he says. Um, and he's, yeah, I guess I was trying to think maybe somebody could come. I don't know. And you know, that's as close as a teenager will come to, at, to ask. And he, and he said, well, would you like me to be there? He says, well, I don't want to put you, if you got something else to go on. No, hey, and I said, if I don't care what I have going, I'm going to be there for this kid. He says, I'll be there. He says, um, you know, I'm 85. I'll be on the field. So before the game, you know, he they have the honor, and he's so proud. He's feeling like a parent now. You with pictures and all, putting his arm around the, on this kid, and the kid leans over and says, you know, I haven't played any this year. Don't expect to see me in the game. Maybe he said for your last game. Maybe they'll put you in. Well, in fact, the game went on and they were into the fourth quarter and they were ahead by 20 points. This is true. True story. Ahead by 20 points. Well, he is really getting into the parent feeling because he says, you know, I always respect coaches. I always know they know better than me. But he says, all of a sudden, I found myself standing up and shouting, hey, put number 85 in the game. And they didn't do it. And he started shouting. He started getting the other, hey, put 85 in the game. And they never did it. And they won by 20 points. And he found himself crying in the stands. And he said, my God, no wonder I have a hard time getting through to this kid. He doesn't feel like he's worth anything. He's not even worth enough to put in the game when they're ahead by 20 points. You get it? He talked about the hidden curriculum, the, the lessons we learn in school that are not taught as the lesson plan, but they're still learned in class, like, I'm not very good, I'm not very popular, I'm not as smart, I'm not that good looking, the, the guys or the gals don't really look to me. You know, those lessons we learn in school. I hate to think about all the lessons we learn and so then he made a point to really befriending this young man. He said, it's a lesson he'll never forget. All of that happened, he believed, because he took the time and trouble to sit in his desk. Do you see what he had to do, though? He had to leave the teacher's desk. And he had to come down to sit among them. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart 
and the hearts of all your loved ones.